0: You're listening to Mornings with Eric and Bridget right here on Moody Radio 89.3.
1: Not just another book, but Susie Larson's new resource, Waking Up to the Goodness of God, seeks to be a transformative pilgrimage on how you can explore God's goodness and invitation to flourish, heal, and know his peace. Now, she's a bestselling author, a national speaker, and host of Susie Larson Live. She's joined us before. but So once again, Susie, good morning. Thanks
2: for being here. Well, I love any kind of time I get with you, too. So thanks for having me back. What is
0: it about 40 days? This is a 40-day journey, basically. What, what, What is it about 40 days that really impacts us?
2: Well, you know, you look at that in Scripture, 40 days is often used as a pilgrimage journey. And then you look at brain science, uh, they'll often say 40 to 60 days it takes to literally form new neural pathways in your brain. So I kind of wanted to marry these two together to say, I've written this as a 40-day journey, but I'd rather you go slower than fast, Mm -hmm. because truly what I'm wanting to do is change the neural structure in your brain to renew your heart, to get your soul strengthened in the thoughts of God and His goodness. And that, we don't default to postures of faith hope and love and expectancy we default to fear doubt worry anxiety so i'm asking you to apply yourself every single day to look up to trust that god is good because the enemy is continually baiting us into the idea of accusing god of things that the devil's actually guilty of and many of us eric and bridget have unresolved hurts disappointments losses things in our story that we've never taken time maybe to resolve with the Lord. And so those are like open loops in our brain and they're open doors for the enemy to build a case against God. So I want to close those loops. I want us to truly, truly uh, understand that there's a case for God's goodness. And the more that we trust him in it, I'm telling you, things change in your brain and your physiology and your soul. And of course, in your faith.
1: It seems like, so this is an invitation to journey from Racing for impact type of living to yeah. holy expectancy. What did that journey look like for you?
2: Well, I'm so glad you asked that because um, I never write things that are just seem like a good idea. You know, someone might want to read this. <laughs> I'm always writing out of the the gut wrenching, hard fought. Uh, trenches of my own battles and uh, you know this you've since I've been on the show before but for those who don't uh, when I was a young mom uh, over 30 years ago I contracted Lyme disease during our third pregnancy and the first seven years were just relentless and horrific and terrible and then for about 20 years I just learned to live with a chronic illness i became a fitness instructor and i fought hard and i would say a few times a year three four times a year i couldn't get out of bed for a few days and i knew those those you know um surges were coming because my face would start to go numb and all of a sudden i'd just be hit by this inflammatory cascade in my body and things would kind of go awry and then i'd come up swinging again and that just sort of i found a way to work around it because i had things i wanted to do And then about eight, nine years ago, I had a massive relapse and apparently people with chronic Lyme also have an inability to process mold. Um, And I've been unknowingly exposed to black mold repeatedly. And suddenly the neuro symptoms came and then they came with new symptoms and it was so terrifying. Uh, And then they did an MRI and found mold on the brain. And as a live radio host, you know, you have gotta be able to think on your feet. You gotta, you know, uh, there's an economy and time and words. And I was also writing a book at the time. So I started to misspell. Basic words that I should know how to spell. I had to Google the difference between mm. T H E R E and E I R. It was terrifying. And in that place, I'd have these nighttime surges that felt like strokes, where my heart started to beat out of my chest, numbing would shoot up my neck and into my jaw. And I just so I wouldn't wake my hubby up, I'd come down in our family room and pace the floor and cry out to God. And I finally got to a point where I'm like, You either have to kill me or heal me because I don't have the mental bandwidth to keep fighting this battle. And it, I was really battered by it. And a friend made an observation, a very loving one. There was no hint of judgment in her heart, but she said, Susie, it seems like you're living bracing for impact. And I honestly at the surface thought, well, that's sort of the natural reaction to an unpredictable disease. But she had so much compassion in her heart. It quickened within me. I don't know if you've ever been lovingly confronted where the Lord is accompanying the words of that friend. And so I took that to the Lord of my, no secret private prayer place. And the Lord, I said, Lord, is is there more here? And he showed me that he, you know, I felt his pleasure. I felt his love. I was getting up every morning, spending time in his word, worshiping him. I was serving him on the air every day with a passion, but he showed me my heart and I was hurt by him. I was disappointed in him. I couldn't believe he allowed such a horrific battle at this age and stage of my life. And so we had some sorting through to do. And the other thing this friend said to me, she said, Susie, when you think about God, if you have any other thought other than this, only goodness and mercy are allowed to follow me all the days of my life. If you think anything than that, something in you needs healing and something in your thinking needs uh, reframing. And so when the Lord showed me my heart, I realized, and this was, if I remember right, before COVID, before the world was bracing for impact, I knew I had to apply myself to this practice, truly, because my thoughts were continually defaulting to the next surge of symptoms and the terror of what next terrible thing was God going to allow in my life. As I started to look around, I noticed I'd stopped being grateful, because you can't at once live with elbows locked and hands open to receive what God wants. You can't, and you don't see goodness when it comes. So I just started by sincerely thanking Him for the things in my life that I would miss tomorrow if they went away. And something started to flutter to life. And eventually I started to realize, oh my goodness, he's been good he's being good and he will be good again. And as I truly every day applied myself to looking to the Lord, meditating on his goodness, as scripture says, because we so oft forget, my husband said, something's changing in you. He says, your eyes look different. Like you're carrying yourself different. And I could feel literally, I could feel my physiology healing because it's terrible for your soul, for your cells, your body, and even for your faith to be living bracing for impact. So I love that you asked that question, Bridget, because the whole purpose of the book is to move us out of waiting for the next shoe to drop to into what amazing thing does God have up his sovereign sleeve because he's a good God and he has great intentions towards his children.
0: Susie Larson's with us, Waking Up, to the goodness of God. When we think of goodness of God, I, I immediately go to the, the CC wine song mm-hmm. and uh, the phrase there, all my life, you have been faithful. And I think many times we say, except for that one season right there. And I, I think that's what you were yeah. talking about. And I think that's why it's so helpful um part of this is a declaration of your faith as we're praying to our heavenly father and a, a way to retrain our brain and that's really helpful because i i think many times we talk about his faithfulness except for that season where life really went sideways on me but these declarations and retrainings they really help us focus on where he is faithful each and every moment of our life don't don't they
2: Oh, so much. And if, if you have that in your narrative, except for that season, there's no condemnation, there's no shame, but that is symptom that you need some healing and you need to create some space with God to say, can we talk about this? Help me frame this, help me see this from your perspective. And as you said, at the end of each reading, the readings are short and I'm hoping you take your time with them, but they're short. But the declarations at the end are what I want you to sit with the rest of the day and really ponder, meditate, rehearse and speak over your life. And I wanna make something clear. This is not name it, claim it, but there is something to be said about the words that you speak over your life. There is, I mean, science has said apart from faith, When you have uh, contrary thoughts towards yourself or towards others, it literally sets a chemical reaction off in your body. And I think you'd probably notice it yourself when, you know, you're bothered by something in the news or there's a politician you can't stand and you start spewing, it's toxic for your body. So we have got to contend for a redemptive perspective. It's not that everything's good and anything goes, but for Christians, there is a way to set our minds on things above. And so like one of the declarations in there that I've just used over and over again when I've been terrified by symptoms is the cross has spoken. The curse is broken. Jesus has set me free. And so what I'm hoping is that you'll find a few of those that have life on them for you, where you're like, this one is mine. And let that be your declaration. And anytime the enemy is vying for position to plant a lie in your heart, no, you go, no, I'm I'm stomping my foot. I'm declaring this truth over my life. There is power in your words. There's power in your perspective. And I'm telling you, things will change in you as you start to set your mind on things above.
1: You even talk about how we need to strategically reject and accept situations in our lives. How how do we mm-hmm. do both of those things at the same time?
2: You know, I would say that we're really passive about the things we accept and passive about the things we should be rejecting. We too often accept lies and we forget to reject the lies and reject thoughts that weaken us and in that particular reading i kind of give an illustration of a day i was out with a friend we're sorting through a really painful relational issue with her and then the server came up to get fill our waters or whatever and i i peeked over at her and i watched her thoughts go south i could see it her jaw clenched her eyes slitted her hands clenched and after the server walked away i'm like what just happened and she's like no I'm, i'm fine i'm like no you're not fine what just happened in your thoughts? And then she started to admit that her thoughts spiraled into the ditch of back to just anger, frustration, hurt. And so we walked ourselves back out of the ditch to a place of hopeful expectancy again. And I would just say, ask the Lord, are there things that I have passively accepted that you have called me to reject? And that requires an engaged heart. And you know, I've said this, I think, on your show before, but I believe many Christians are walking around knowing they're saved, but they don't know they're loved. And because they've passively accepted a narrative that constantly puts them on the outside of the circle of favor, where they're the ones who don't fit in. They're the second rate. Blessings belong to everybody but them. And those things go unchallenged in our hearts. Inferiority, fear, insecurity. And, you know, I was just reading in the, in the New Testament the other day um, where Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say I am? And they said, well, Elijah, Jeremiah, some others say, some of the prophets. He said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are Jesus, the Son of Man. That You know, whatever his declaration was, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, you know, only the Father has revealed that to you. And Peter, I call you Peter, on this rock I will build my church. And he goes on to talk about it, giving you the keys of the kingdom. The gates of hell will not prevail. What you forbid on earth, you know, will be forbidden in the heavenly realm. In other words, as God... Peter got a revelation of who Jesus was. He was able to receive a revelation from Jesus about who he was and all that that goes with that. But in the very next paragraph, Jesus said he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of religious leaders, and he will die, and on the third day would raise again. And Peter said, God forbid it never, heaven forbid, That may it never be. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me because you're seeing things from a worldly point of view. How does a guy go from a heavenly revelation to a hellish revelation? Fear, mm-hmm. fear. And, and you think about how important it is that we have a right view of God, that, that Jesus is not a construct of our preferences and m- many our people are doing that. They're cr- creating a Jesus in their image and their preferences. But to the degree that you know Jesus for who he is, will you know who you are? in light of eternity. But when you get into a fear place, you're on this faulty platform, it becomes a dangerous trap to you and to many. And what, I, what gets me out of bed every morning is so much to see the souls of Christians healed and restored so that we're not living in fear anymore because perfect love casts out fear. And the more we understand Jesus for who he is, the more we'll grasp who we are because this is so important that you know this book isn't like hopeful thoughts and positive thoughts. It's not a humanistic approach to don't worry, be happy. It's a deep, deep journey with the Lord to go show me my heart. Show me the lies I picked up on life. Let me down. Help me replace those lies with the truth. So I'm meditating and rehearsing your goodness. So I know who you are. So I rightly understand who I am. And when you have a correct vision of who god is you'll more uh, wisely discern the lies of the enemy for what they are and you'll say no not today and not tomorrow satan mm-hmm. and you'll put your shield up you'll use your sword and you'll draw a line in the sand
0: the book is called waking up to the goodness of god and susie i can't let you go we only have a couple minutes left but i can't let you go i'm the father of young ladies and this issue of body image what they see when they look in the mirror you talk about yeah. fear and not measuring up or whatever that is so prevalent and so dangerous, isn't it?
2: It is. In fact, I have a, a de- devotional entry in this book because, you know, I worked in fitness for over a decade, um, but my body has betrayed me, it seems, many times. And I was in, I have a little workout room in our house. i got a big mirror on the wall because I used to be a fitness instructor and form is extremely important. And when you get tired, you fall out of form. So I was out there in there doing some deadlifts or something. And the Lord prompted me to stand up, look in the mirror and say, I love my body. And I couldn't, I like, I, I struggled and I realized there was a new neural pathway that he was inviting me, uh, to blaze to say, cause, and I, he's like, he showed me my heart. I felt like my body betrayed me. Now your girls are going to feel something different because of just the context of their lives and the culture that they're immersed in. It's just so unbelievable. But one way or another, we've got to get to a place to say, I am fearfully, wonderfully made and my soul knows it very well. And I had to stand there in front of that mirror and repent because I thought, you know, I, berating my body was not a bad thing. Because the world has made an idol out of our body, the church thinks it's somehow good and right and noble to berate our bodies. But the opposite of idolizing isn't berating, it's blessing. It's to be able to say, I, "I, my body's blessed because it's an instrument of God. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And again, this is the amazing thing. When you walk with God in his gentleness, he'll show you faulty thinking, faulty platforms. And so, I pray that for your dear girls that at a young age, they would get a revelation of who God is so that they can get a revelation of who they are and that they'll not be subject to the world's mixed up upside down messages about the human body.
1: Well, this is an invitation to live in holy expectancy, and it's in a book called Waking Up to the Goodness of God. Susie Larson, the author who's been with us, we've got more details and links to it at ericandbridget.org. All
0: right, Susie, thank you for your time. And if you ever decide to come down and defrost from where you're at, (laughs) South Florida's open. You're more than welcome in the studio.
2: I'll just tell you right now, Florida's our happy place. So we're going to be there a few times. So God bless you guys. Thank you.